All right. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about how you share your message and how to get on other podcasts. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So first of all, I'm going to you know, put a full disclaimer and full disclosure on the opening to this and the lessons I'm about to teach you might not fit completely with the context of the interview. What I wanted to do is I'm going to play in this episode, you will be listening to an interview that I did on another podcast called The Real Estate Evolution, The 10 Steps to CPI, which is Consistent and Predictable Income. This was for, from a podcast host out of Virginia, out of in the, in the US. And I was um, invited on to be onto that podcast, which just got me thinking about how to get onto other people's podcasts. So I have a little bit of a process that I help people with and, you know, spreading the message and getting all the good word out there. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to save those teachings and those lessons to after the interview. Okay, so what I'm encouraging you to is to listen to the whole interview you're about to listen to. There's always amazing nuggets. I always say things differently each time. I maybe have a new way of sharing an insight. Maybe this is the first time you've engaged into my podcast, and maybe you're hearing things the 10th time, but you maybe just are hearing it differently, even though maybe I told the same story or told the same context or shared the same insight. But in this one, this was an opportunity where I got to go into somebody else's podcast. And I got to share my message to their audience, you know, and as I maybe look back on it, maybe it wasn't the most ideal audience for me to go into. But here's the thing is, I use every opportunity to get the reps, every opportunity to get the practice in, every opportunity to do the work. Sometimes, you know, you need to do something what you might call your off Broadway work in order to prepare yourself to go full time when you're on Broadway and you're on the absolutely ideal investor avatar. You're in your an audience that is just your people and your most important audience for you to make the best presentation and best podcast appearance you've ever done. The good news is you've done the work leading up to it. Okay, so on this episode, I have a great honor to talk with Dan Roshan with the Real Estate Evolution, the 10 Steps to CPI, which is Consistent and Predictable Income. So Dan, thank you very much for being such a wonderful host. And once again, you're crushing it out there with doing a daily show. Hats off to you, my brother. To be able to do a daily show takes an awful lot of effort and time and work and resources and people, and you need an awful lot of help. So Dan, just wanted to thank you. And for those of you on my podcast, if you're listening to this, listen to this podcast, and then make sure you stick around to the very end, because I have some learning for you as well. And I have some steps for you if you are interested in getting onto some other people's podcasts, plus a preview of some upcoming episodes on the um, podcast that you're about to listen to. Okay, with all that being said, gang, let's just get right after it. So let's please help welcome Mr. Dan Rashawn. Hello, consistent and predictable income community. Today, uh, before I introduce my guest, my name is Dan Rashawn. 
And I'm speaking with Russell Westcott, and we are going to talk about the long path journey to succeed in real estate investing. And Russell is a uh, longtime entrepreneur, author, inspirational public speaker. So that's what attracts me to, to Russ. Has really just been a master communicator, teacher, and has moved about a quarter million people into action and inspired through his podcasts and his interviews online, offline, and books that he's written. So, Russell, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here today. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, every time I hear that longtime veteran investor, I keep going, I, oh, I almost need to get my my walker out and stuff like that. I, <laughs> It's the old uh, Indiana Jones, it's not the years, it's the miles, right? <laughs> I had a uh, I was I was interviewing a gentleman just the other day and he asked me if I remember the days of the Rolodex in the MLS <laughs> and um, I had to tell him uh, well thank you for that inference yes. no that was a little before my time yeah or or the old <laughs> reference of the old three form yeah. stacked things of you know press hard you know sign here press hard bottom copies yours on the, doing a deal on the old fashioned way where you had to rip the pages off and then the old fashioned the old telefax machine right right so we remember that vaguely 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 so russell thank you for joining us today and the long path journey to succeed in real estate investing what does that mean well, you know what? Here's the thing. So first of all, Dan, thank you very much. appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. Appreciate the opportunity to inspire new generation of real estate. My background is real estate investment. I'm an investor first and foremost. I have a business partner who's an agent and I work exclusively with real estate agents when doing this. But, you know, at the end of the day, I own the real estate. I buy the properties. An old mentor of mine once said, you know, Russell, the money is made not in the selling of the properties. The money is made in the buying and the holding of the properties, right? So first of all, just wanted to thank you Wanted to also acknowledge you and the, what you're doing with your community. You know, daily show, 100 plus episodes. You're creating a safe environment for your community to grow and expand along you at the same time. So I just want to give you some props for you as well. Thank you, Russell. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me as well. Yeah. So the long journey, the long game, if you will. So a lot of people, when they get into real estate, everybody, if you hear this, will say, invest for the long term, you know, buy and hold, invest for the long term. But a lot of people, if you actually sit there and think about it, is what does that mean? Like, if you talk to the majority of people, if you go into bigger pockets or a whole bunch of different places, I would bet the majority of the people, 80% of the people that are probably on there have been investing less than 10 years, probably even less than seven years, right? Everybody gets into this game with what is the, you know, I'm into it for the long term, but what does that actually mean? Like, what does it mean to own a piece of real estate for 20, 30, 40 years? What are some of the ups and downs? What are some of the cycles that you go through? What are some of the markets that go up, drop, go get flats, drop in value? What does all that mean? So what I've been just doing is I've been blessed to be able to do this for now more than 20 years. 
And what I'm now doing when you've been blessed, you need to be a blessing to others. So what I'm doing is I'm making it my mission to help inspire a next generation of real estate investors on their journey, on what it takes to go the distance, what it takes to get long term. And I'm just sharing all my mentors that I've had over the years, all the resources, the things that I've learned. And I'm just whoever wants to listen, you know, even if it's on a park bench and talking to a couple pigeons there and a couple of people in the park. I'm just out there just spreading the message, sharing, you know, for lack of a better term, sharing the good gospel to a new generation of real estate investors that need perspective long-term as opposed to just transactional, what's my next deal? So that's really what the long game means to me. Thank you for the explanation. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about, uh, so we're in the football season right now, NFL. And so Monday night football's on tonight. Uh, unless if you listen to this on a Tuesday or Wednesday and you're listening to it in the summer, they forget what I just said. But if you listen to this live, uh, that's what's happening tonight. And I was thinking about what you're sharing, Russell, and I was comparing it to the players who make a tremendous amount of money, which you can as a real estate agent. And then I was thinking about the owners of the teams. And I was just sort of thinking about the perspective of, well, what is, you know, that, yes, that's great money that these guys make. And I would appreciate the opportunity if I was a, a young man in, in that type of shape. Yet it's really the wealth is goes with the owning of the real estate. And if you look even like past players that have become wealthy, 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 those are the ones that got into ownership or got into, you know, Magic Johnson. You know, he made a lot of money as a basketball player, but now he's a business person, owns multiple businesses, and that's where his wealth is. Yep. I 100% agree. It's, you know, and now I'm just going to say something clearly. I don't know if we've said this, but I'm from Canada. So we have a different brand of football. You know, some might call ours junior varsity compared to what you guys this have. This is more fun. The- it's more fast paced. <laughs> Well, it's we got only three downs. We got a giant field, and there's only there's fewer players on that field too. It's not three running plays and a punt, right? So I 100% agree. Like, let's go back right back to the beginning. Most people probably got their start within real estate investing, or even became an agent by reading Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad. And one of Robert Kiyosaki's in one of his books, one of the most important fundamental concepts was build business, invest in real estate. Now, for many of your agents, you're building a real estate business to help transact properties. Take the profits from that business you're doing, take those proceeds, take those real estate after you pay yourself, after you pay all the bills, after you put the groceries on the table, after you you take care of all your family needs, and then take all that income and then go buy a property and go buy more properties. Like my business partner, who is an agent, he works exclusively with real estate investors. And he'll go and he'll broker some big, big, large deals and make a couple hundred thousand dollars in in commissions. And then he'll go take that money and go buy a, a property for himself and his wife. It just is all about how fast can you build the business, create the income from the business, and then take that income and then invest into a property. And then hold on long term as best you can. Yes. <laughs> Which is what we're going to talk here about is how do you go long term in the game, right? Well, tell us more about that. So we're talking about peaks and valleys in the in the marketplace. So, you know, right now, for example, well, we are in a valley, for example, in commercial real estate for office. You know, I just signed a lease on one of my properties that I own for office space. I'm grateful to sign that today. And uh, that's been vacant for a tad bit of time. I probably wouldn't 
uh, bought that property today. So that's a property that's not doing well for me. So what advice do you give to me or to anybody that says, okay, we got a property that's not performing greatly right now. You know, what's the long-term, you know, what do you say? Well, the long-term really is, is treated like a business. Like really, if you really think about it, essentially we as investors are renting capital from both the bank and investment partners, uh, angel investors, we're renting the capital, okay? And then we take that capital and we go buy a piece of commercial real estate or residential real estate, whichever floats your boat. And then what you try to do is you try to then rent it for higher than what you're renting the capital for. And then over a course of time, hopefully the our rental arbitrage is in your favor and you can actually make some money off of it. And then it gets eventually paid off when you truly own the asset is when it's free and clear. And that's typically when the tenants pay that off for you. And for a lot of people just getting started, negative cash flowing properties, whether it's commercial, whether it's residential, soon will eat you alive. And not only just negative, even ones that are going to become negative because of deferred maintenance, because of deferred cap expenditures. If you haven't been contributing to that asset along and it is so skinny and it's so tight, you know, get the rose-colored glasses off. Either you're going to have to come out of pocket to keep that asset going, or maybe it's time to exit. Like it's a hard thing for me to make a definitive decision of what somebody should do without diving deep into the background. But most people only look at an asset, maybe one, maybe two, maybe five years. Very few people will look at from a standpoint of 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And what does that look like owning that asset? Do you still want to own that asset when you have to put a new roof on it? Do you still want to own that asset when all the mechanical starts going on it? You got to pay for it. If you don't have the cash flow from it now, where is it going to come from, right? And having a plan in place to uh, handle all the ups and downs and rainy days along the way because markets cycle, right? You know, in many cases across the country, both in Canada and in the US, there's markets that are absolutely on fire, and then there's some cases there's markets that are being depressed, right? So so just pick and choose your strategy, match your strategy to the right market condition and be prepared to hang on long-term if need be. Sure. Are you buying now, Russell? 100%, absolutely. What do you like? When I like, um, so I have a market. So my market's in Canada in a province called Alberta. Think Texas right? Okay. It's an energy producing province. It's uh, oil and gas, but it's also rebranding themselves into clean tech, all that kind of things like that. It's been the market I'm investing in been flat for better part of a decade or more. And it is now poised to start going up. My investment strategy is purpose built residential property. So I'm building housing. I'm building my houses with suites, duplexes, multiplexes, right up to eight units and above. We're building it and designing it from the ground up and uh, renting it out as a residential property. And when you got started, how, how long? I know you've been doing this for a long time, 20 plus years. Tell us about the start. So take us back to day one, if you could. Well, hang on. First of all, imagine this long flowing hair locks, you know, where just lots of waves. Now there's nothing but beaches. (laughs) (laughs) It also sounds like you and I go to the same barber. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's called a, a fresh towel every couple days, right? That's right. <laughs> so uh, way back in the day, you know what? It started with 
ironically enough, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, mm-hmm. It was right around, I jo- I make the joke, it was the turn of the century. Okay. It was the year 2000. I was having a midlife crisis. I just turned 30 and I had a little bit of a self-proclaimed Peter Pan syndrome. I just never wanted to grow up. And then I finally decided, what am I going to do when I grow up? Mm-hmm. I was climbing the corporate ladder, you know, with a, a sales and marketing degree with a national food manufacturer. That time it would have been like craft foods and that. And then I was sitting there, I go, you know what, the ladder just leaned up against the wrong wall. And I was having one of those crisis moments. And where does every 30-year-old male turn when they're having a existential crisis? Where do you turn? You turn to Oprah, obviously, right? <laughs> and I remember That's like where I thought we were going. I'm glad we went to Oprah. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it's the pens. <laughs> Well, and take a guess who was on Oprah. It was in April of 2020. Robert Kiyosaki was on Oprah. All right. And Robert Kiyosaki started talking about rich dad, poor dad, buying assets that produce the income, that pay the bills that eventually, in, uh, you know, that you can get out of the rat race. And it was just a fresh concept to me. You know, at that time, I had never owned a house in my life. I was renting a basement suite with a roommate. And then from there, I just slowly went there. I read a book, read another book, read another book, caught the real estate bug, went to a, a conference, went to a workshop, got the bug, dove to all in. Now, for many of your listeners, you probably know this name, uh, Ron Legrand out of Jacksonville, Florida. Ronnie was one of my early mentors way back in the day of in 2002, 2003. I spent better part of three years following Ron Legrand across the country, across every nook and cranny across the U.S., learning from Ron about many of the strategies there. And then I was trying to take all those strategies I was learning from Ron Legrand in the States to then customize it for our Canadian market. You know, I often made the joke. It was like learning calculus in Chinese. (laughs) I had to to learn the strategy. Translate the languages. And then I had to translate it all at the same time. But so took that and brought it back up to my target market I was in. I just bought a whole bunch of properties, bought a property a month for better part of five plus years, continue to build, buy properties today, bought multiple properties this past year. I've lost a lot of money on some older properties that I've bought, and I've made a lot of money on some properties I bought too. So I've kind of gone, I call it doing the cycle, right? I've pretty well done it all almost. And now I'm turning the corner into giving back and sharing my message to help others on their journey as well. Hey everyone, sure hope you're enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to take a quick pause in today's show to share with you a real estate investing and financing tip that has helped many investors scale up their portfolio. Data-driven decisions and having a roadmap are two of the most important fundamentals for real estate investing success. When it comes to financing income properties, it is critical to take a strategic approach versus a traditional transactional approach to financing. A transactional approach is when your lender or broker just speaks to you about the deal at hand versus sitting down and helping you with your plans of financing and putting a roadmap together for your next properties. Do you have the critical answers to start, grow, and scale your portfolios? Answers to some key questions such as, where will the money come from to keep acquiring your properties? How do you structure your deal strategically while not painting yourself into a corner with future financing? And how to proactively manage your borrowing power? These are just a few of the key questions you need answers. If you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to structure your financing strategically, I suggest you 
speak with one of the team members at Streetwise Mortgages. They have helped thousands of investors scale up their portfolios and also get into the game of real estate investing. The financing roadmap is complimentary for every client who works with Streetwise Mortgages. Best of all, on top of the financing roadmap, you'll receive a summary report on the top 18 Ontario markets. Plus, you'll receive a comprehensive deep dive research report on the market of your choice of the top 18. I'm currently looking at one of these reports right now, and they are comprehensive and deep data-driven decision materials for you to make the right decision. I highly recommend you take a look at this if you are interested in starting, growing, and scaling your real estate investing portfolio. To book a planning session and develop your financing roadmap, email info at streetwisemortgages.com. That's info at streetwisemortgages.com. There will also be a link in the show notes below. Now back to the show. Your first property that you bought, was that residential? It was a residential, 12719 122nd Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, in the Calder neighborhood. I paid one twenty eight eight, and it was an up-down suited house. The tenant in the basement died uh, about six months in, and I didn't have the stomach to really keep going, so I sold it for what I paid for it, and I lost about 500 bucks on the first transaction. But I went through, I bought it, I owned it, I sold it, and I only it cost me five hundred bucks, so I figured, ah, oh, good tuition. Keep going. What's the longest property you've owned today? I still own some properties today uh, that I bought back in two thousand three. Okay. And what is this? Was that seventeen years? Yeah. And I'm I'm slowly starting to. Now I might use a little bit of a farmer's term here a little bit. I'm culling the herd a little okay. bit, meaning I'm selling off some of the older properties to take that capital to reinvest into some newer properties and new builds. Now, I wish that we had that 1031 exchange that you guys yeah. have down in the States where I could just roll that over. But, you know, unfortunately, we don't have that out here. Yeah. But our personal residences are 100% tax-free. Yes. And we have the 1031 for the time being. So we'll see where the future would yes. for, Yeah, Yeah. What day of the week is it today? And how sharp is uh, Mr. Biden's pen at the moment, right? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. So what's been the biggest challenge that you've had in investing? Well, one of the biggest challenges I had was um, if I was to go back and I've done a lot of reflecting back on this, you know, 20 plus years of doing this is I, I grew too fast. Okay. I added too many properties too soon. And my ego got away on me. My ego, I used to make the joke is, you know, my ego was not my amigo at the time. And I was buying properties just for the sake of getting on a stage and telling people I was buying properties. And here's another one. And here's another one. Oh, look at me. Dum, da, da, dum. I'm Superman. And look how, how amazing I am. And, you know, just keep sharing and telling all the properties you bought. So, Here's the problem that I did. I acquired the assets very quick, but I did not backfill with the business structure to support it. I was maybe not mature enough, maybe not advanced in my business savviness at that time. I did not have good accounting in place. I did not have good, potentially good management. I did not have good checks and balances, but I could sure acquire a property like Lickety Split. Analyzing, raising the capital, getting the financing, putting the property into the old uh, spreadsheet 
done, check, move on to the next property. But I never did backfill with all the most important part is the ownership of it, the management, the control. How do you report it? How do you maybe do long-term planning on the asset, reserve fund studies, all that kind of stuff? I didn't do that. I didn't backfill that with some good, sound business practices. So then as a result of not having that infrastructure in place, did that cause pain for you? Did that cause a problem? <laughs> yeah. The pain that it caused was it was all great when the tide was going up, right? When sure. the market was going up, sure, as you know what, all the sins were covered up because you had all this equity gain. All of a sudden, the market took a breather. And then the market took a longer breather. And then the market took a longer breather. And then the breather turned into some years. And years turned into a little bit longer. And rent started dropping a little bit. And, you know, there's the old Warren Buffett quote that says that you can always tell who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out. <laughs> and, Dan, I was naked as the day I was born. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it was a, it was very painful lessons at the time. And I've been just struggling my way through on a lot of those properties, even to this day, still keeping some of them going, which I probably should have let go of them a while ago and just cut bait. Yeah. You know, there's an old saying is, you know, fish or cut bait. You know, I probably should have cut bait quite a while ago on a few of them, but I've been keeping them going. Uh, the market fundamentals are now turning again. I'm now building out a new portfolio and I'm doing it differently this time based upon, you know, 20 years of experience now. The real estate economy in Canada is more stable generally than the United States real estate economy with a more of a growth that's relatively three and a half percent or so a year. Is that, do I understand that correctly? Yeah, in general terms, I would agree with that. But in many cases, it's actually very frothy in certain respects that the two highest price markets in our country are very, very frothy. Okay. You know, and one of the reasons being is there's a couple, you know, for many of your listeners, I'll make this quick. Canada is a net importer of people. We have very, very large targets for immigration of people to come in. Canada is a safe place to come to move to for a worldwide market. So we have a lot of people moving in. And there's an awful lot of bureaucracy, awful lot of red tape, awful lot of layers of government to be able to build housing. So we have a huge demand of people coming in and we have a very limited supply. As a matter of fact, for probably the last decade, we haven't kept up with just natural growth rate of population. So we actually have a very tight housing market here okay. in Canada. And when you have lots of people, very few houses, markets go up. And in some provinces in our country where you have rent controls, it's hard to keep get your rents to go up to match. So it is, it's making it really tight and you have to get a little bit creative or you have to um, buy properties vacant or you have to go to provinces where I invest where there is no rent controls. There is, you know, no land transfer taxes. There are favorable rules to invest in there. And it's, in my opinion, it's also at a bottom of a cycle. So how, how are you acquiring properties today? Where do you find your properties that, that you purchase and what is your criteria to purchase? Well, 100% mine is through my business partner who uh, he goes out and he develops relationships with developers and builders in our area. His job is to kick the dirt and find the, the new subdivisions. And he's out there sniffing out good properties. He's looking out, you know, five, 10 years out into new developments and networking with all the developers. 
My job is to get out there and shake the tree to find investors, to find capital partners, to find people that maybe want to invest into those projects. And my job is to get onto podcasts and YouTubes and, you know, flap my big mouth to get out there and spread the good word. And then what I do is I just make a comment to my business partner, Jason, when I got the capital lined up and I say, Jay, I've got some more capital. I'm ready to buy. And like a good realtor and a good business partner, his comment is how many and how soon? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. How many and how soon, sir? We got it. We got it lined up for you. Well, he's got at any one time, he has a minimum of probably 50 very good investable opportunities on his books at any time. Like, honest to goodness, um, I have conversations across our country with investors, and they're struggling to find good properties that make sense. I was out in our target market, and in a day and a half, I probably saw 45 grade A opportunities. It wasn't a matter of which one's better. It was a matter of, can I buy them all? (laughs) Right? Got it. So these are new developments that you're, or new properties that you're primarily investing in? Yeah, they're everything from, say, a a single family home that will say that maybe we'll buy two side by side, or we'll buy an up down with some suites, or we'll double them up and we'll go side by side with suites to have a fourplex, or we'll do front and backs and make it into an eightplex, or even stack a few of them on top of them, even getting into purpose built eight to 12 unit townhouse projects at the same time, freehold townhomes. So tell me, so if it's, say, a fourplex, what could you acquire that for? And then what would you rent it for? Go through the financials. Like, what would you raise? What would the bank take? What would I mean, is the developer take any paperback? Talk to us about how you structure one of those. Well, I'll talk to it on the end and then work my way backwards. So the typical, let's say, for a fourplex, which would be a side-by-side. Now, you may call this a little bit different. You may call them semis or duplexes. Essentially, it's two houses with a common wall in between, and there's some rental suites in the basement. So essentially, four units, two houses. Okay? Okay. You can pick that up, and you can build that for about $900,000 all in, everything done for you, okay? The bank will lend up to 80% loan to value on that. So what are we, 700, give it change? I find some capital from some partners as the down payment from there, and those will rent for about $6,200 a month. And after it's all said and done, after a a really conservative pro forma, they'll probably cash flow about anywhere between $1,200 to $1,400 a month in cash flow. So that's just one example. And that's assuming that it's 100% occupied as well. Yes. Well, we put a a vacancy factor into it to analyze that number as well. And when they are fully tenanted, the numbers are even higher than that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that would be just, for example, one type of a product. And then from there, you know, for example, just analyzing a property right now of building an eight stack, four in the front, four in the back, a freehold townhome. So freehold means that there's no condo fees on them. And we're building those, the price on those is about 300, 300 a unit. Okay. And so for eight of them, it's about 2.4 million. And the bank will give you potentially, depending on the financing structure, they will do will give you up to about 80% loan to value on it. And then the beautiful part about something like that is you rent them out individually. And then when it comes time to sell it, you bought it as one stack of eight, and then you subdivide it, and then you sell it as eight properties, right? Yeah. Buy by the yard, sell by the foot. <laughs> Got it. That sounds brilliant. 
Like I'm pulling out all my farmer sayings here for you today, Dan. I love it. I love it. Uh, your farmer sayings, and you, I don't know if you saw me chuckle on the process. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, and, and where we're doing that, say, for, for example, I said 300000 for a townhome. Every market's different, but where I live, I'm in a Vancouver, a suburb of Vancouver, a okay. brand new townhome where I live is about seven, $800,000. Okay. So to get something for some of those that are maybe going to listen to this, they're maybe familiar with different markets. They're going, yeah, that's cheap. $302,000 for a townhome. Yeah. And I know that uh, there's a little bit of difference in the numbers with uh, U.S. and, and Canadians. Yeah. Uh, do you know what the difference is? Just to get a perspective of the numbers we're talking no, I'm not 100% up sure. on, on that, but it all depends on different markets. Like some yeah. markets are on fire. And, you know, if you go, you know, not too far from where I live, I'm on the Pacific Northwest. If you go down into the Seattle area and stuff like that, they're significantly higher. Of course. Yeah. Geographically, how far from you are you typically purchasing and what's the closest and what's the furthest? All of them are at least an hour and a half plane ride away from me. Because... Okay. Like I said, I live in a suburb of Vancouver and the numbers just don't make sense here. Yeah. Like, you know, in the neighborhood I'm at, an average house in around this area is, you know, upwards of a couple million dollars. Sure. And for a couple million dollars, I can buy an apartment building in my target market and get thirteen thousand dollars rent for the same for the same price point. So you have to travel outside. And then how often do you travel? Do you visit the properties? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Pre-COVID, I was every month. Okay. And since then, you know, been a little bit conservative with the travel a bit. I get out there every six months to a year. But the beautiful thing is it's forced me to be very efficient with the team. I have a on-the-ground property management company. I have an on-the-ground boots in the ground. My Most of my team lives out there, even though I live somewhere else. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I enjoy being in another city than where the rental properties are. Sure. If you were starting over today, Russell, what would you do differently? Well, you know, I in some cases I am starting over in many respects. Yeah. You know, 20 plus years in the business and, you know, I'm not afraid to say I'm starting over in many respects. But here's what I would tell people is, number one is quality over quantity. Know why you're buying the real estate that you're buying, not just buying it for the sake of buying it. And the most important thing to really do is to understand the tenant profile that you're doing. So there's a core teaching that my business partner and I do is we call it the three pillars of real estate, what you buy, where you buy, and who you rent to. Of those three pillars, who you rent to is the most important thing. Think about the tenant profile first. Get your tenant avatar. Design who that you want to rent to, who's going to be your customer. Then pick the area that tenant wants to move into. Then design the house to fit the tenant profile. If you design the house in the area of your ideal investment avatar of your tenant profile, you will actually have a much better ownership experience as opposed to just going out and buying a place because it's cheap. And on a pro forma piece of paper, it looks like it rents well, and it's going to be all this cash flow and riches and fame. You actually have to run it like a business and you actually have to have customers and the customers have to have a good experience. And if you have a good customer experience, they will help you pay off the mortgages on each of those properties. Russell, I love the fact that you start with the end in mind and then you work your way into the <laughs> beginning. And, and that is fantastic with the way that you just described that. So thank you for that. Yeah, I've learned the lesson the hard way and I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> love it, man. 
So for uh, listeners and viewers, so Russell is the author of a couple uh, best-selling Canadian real estate books, including 97 Tips for Canadian Real Estate Investors, as well as Joint Ventures, the Canadian Investor's Guide to Raising Money and Getting Deals Done. So besides those books, how else can one of our viewers and listeners get in touch with you, Russell? Well, you know, I went on a big corporate retreat within the business. We hired some consultants. We hired very high-powered marketing executives to come in there. And we had a think tank where we put together and we were going, okay, let's come up with some really creative naming for all these assets, the YouTube channels, the podcasts, the website. Let's come up with all these creative things. So I paid an awful lot of money to some consultants. And here's what they came up with. Let's call it the Russell Westcott podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So the easiest way is if you Google my name, Russell Westcott, and it's W-E-S-T-C-O-T-T, you'll find all things revolve around that, all the Instagram, all the Facebook, everything's around the personal brand. And, you know, just having a lot of fun sharing the content out to a new generation of people. Man, I love it, Russell. Thank you for your time today. And for listeners and viewers, I want to announce that we just published the Lazy Agents Bootcamp. And when you visit www.findyourpotential.life, you'll have access to that for free to be able to learn how the top producing salespeople easily convert buyers and sellers to be able to hire them. And so I encourage for you to uh, first, check out Russell Westcott. Second, visit www.findyourpotential.life findyourpotential.life. Russell, thanks again. I appreciate your time and uh, God bless you. Honored to serve. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. So what did you think of today's episode? For some of you, if you've listened to every single podcast I've had, first of all, thank you. (laughs) You know what? If you've listened to every podcast that I've put out, I'm just honored. I'm just totally blown away. When I like I made the joke and I probably have made the same joke like 20 times now. When I first got started, it would probably, you know, the only people listening to would be probably my wife and my mom and and hi mom, if you are listening. And I don't even know if my mom is even subscribed to this. And I was just blown away anytime I've uh, people are reaching out, sending emails, sharing the message, telling the same stories that maybe I shared and just how it's impacted them. So I just am honored and thank you very much for listening to each and every episode. So what did you take from this one? Was it just maybe a different way of presenting it, a different way of sharing your message? Maybe you've heard it for the 20th time and maybe you're sitting there going, you know what? (laughs) That Edmonton market sure is sounding appealing. Maybe I never need to reach out to Russ to book a consultation to see if there's an opportunity in Edmonton. I don't know. Everybody hears things from a different perspective. Everybody hears things from a different level. But here's the teaching that I want to do. And I think I have a little bit of time here that I want to share something with you. Now, I teased in the very opening introduction to the podcast that today was all about sharing your message and getting onto other podcasts. I believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to get onto other people's podcasts. There is a way, and I'll just maybe use this as an example. I had somebody reached out to, never even talked to before, reached out on LinkedIn and they sent some message. You know, I think I know of the person or maybe know of the person. Yeah, maybe, maybe through something out there. And honest to goodness, the message was, yeah, we just closed this X billion million dollar deal and I want to be on your podcast. Um, 
Okay. Uh, first of all, congratulations. High five. Well done. You know, moving forward, moving and shaking. But uh, really, that's your way of trying to get onto my podcast <laughs> or anybody's podcast, if you will. So what I did was I jotted down a few notes. Now, here's the thing. This, what I'm about to teach you here at the end of this episode, is going to dovetail very nicely into the next episode you're going to hear next week, which is all about attention-generating strategies. I put together an entire new presentation, which is coming out next week, on talking about how do you start getting eyeballs on your business the right way, the wrong way, case studies, bad examples, good examples, and then also a formula which I call the CLEAR formula. I think I've got one, two, I think I've got four acronyms in there. There's the CLEAR acronym, there's the EAR, E-A-R acronym, and then there's also the ELF acronym. And for those of you, if you've been following along, you know why I like myself a good acronym to help me remember the content. But this, what I'm about to share with you here, will dovetail very nicely into next episode on the podcast. Okay, so first of all, how do you get onto other people's podcasts? The first thing you want to do is you would want to go through and you would want to create a list, a list of the people that would be ideal avatars for what you are trying to accomplish, whether you're offering coaching, consulting, raising capital, buying different area, you know, a mortgage broker, a realtor, if you're just doing different things, the majority of you probably listening to this will be real estate investors, and you'll be looking to start raising some capital. Okay, now the best example I've shared of this, if you've followed along, is I shared an example of Mr. Michael Bug, who his ideal investor avatar is that he works with veterinarians, because he was once one of them. So he actually created his own veterinarian, the veterinarian project. I think it's called the veterinarian project and he is now sharing his own podcast and he's getting on multiple podcasts within the veterinarian space he doesn't go on to typically the real estate investor space podcast because that's not his typical target audience so what is your target audience are your target audience of your investors and people you want to work with first responders are they teachers Are they engineers? What is the subgroup? What is the community? Where do they belong? They could very well be real estate investors, right? And there's an awful lot of people that are out there. And I think one of the ones that I shared on a Standing on the Shoulders of Giants episode was from Justin Smith, who said that one of the reasons why he likes to present to a room full of real estate investors, because at least you don't have to answer the question or help the audience bridge the gap about why real estate. They're already in a room full of people that are interested in moving forward with real estate. Okay, so step number one is I want you to make a list of all the podcasts where your ideal avatar of your investment partners would live. And I've used the term called the Dream 100 or the Key 100. And to Chet Holmes, Chet Holmes was an author who wrote the book, The Ultimate Sales Machine. And that's where I first would have read it the first time. Russell Brunson and Dana Derricks would have been people that would have taken that to the next level. So make a list of all the podcasts that would house and have your community, your people. That's step number one. And then after you make that list, number two is I would subscribe to them right? Step number three was I would devour their content, go through all their content in detail. Step number four was I'd leave them a review, get your face, get your be known out there. I would send them a note about how the things that you're learning and how they impacted you and what you're taking action.
action from and how you're impacting other people. And then the main thing for that first steps is be seen. Have the podcast hosts see you. Okay, that's the thing is, and at this time, when you're sending out notes, and you're sending trying to reach out to them, do not ask for anything, do not ask for anything for them. Okay, so the next bucket that I would highly encourage you to do is to create a personal note to the host. Every one of us has one of these things. Now, this is bad podcast, but I'm holding up my phone with a video camera, hold the phone, get the video, open it up, shoot a quick video personally addressed to that podcast host, then what you want to do is you want to just thank them, first of all. Thank them for the material. Thank them for the insights that they've been sharing. Thank them about how you've been implementing what you've been learning. Then from there, you maybe can start bridging how a couple ideas of maybe something you're seeing that they're not. Maybe there's something, a gap in their podcast episodes. Maybe there's something missing there, right? And then what you're going to start showing is how you potentially can offer some guidance, offer some help, offer what your angle would be, offer a little bit about your story. And then from the personal note you send to that person, then you say, you know what, I have some wonderful insights that I'd love to share with your audience. No strings attached. Just let me know. So that's the second bucket. Remember, bucket number one is understand your ideal avatar, where they hang out, where the audience is. Bucket number two is a personal video note to the host. Then bucket number three was prepare. Prepare in advance. So let's say you get access to be on somebody's podcast. Prepare. Do your homework. Practice. Research. Hire maybe a speaking coach. Do some training. Read some books. Really prepare in advance. Invest in some good microphone equipment. Things like that. Which then leads into the next one is be tech savvy. So step number four, remember step one is your ideal avatar. Step number two is a personal note to the host. Step number three is prepare in advance. Step number four is be tech savvy, meaning you have good quality camera, you have a microphone, you have the earbuds, you understand the process Essentially, what you're trying to do here is you're trying to remove friction. You want to be known as somebody who comes prepared and somebody who is easy to work with. And the easier you are to work with, the more opportunities you will get be invited back again. Be professional is step number five is when you show up, show up, look good, have, you know, nice shirt on and be dressed, have the good light, be professional. And then step six is after it's done, help spread the word, help promote it, share it, tell people you're going to be on that podcast. So let's just quickly review. Step number one, understand where your ideal avatar of potential investment partners lie, the dream 100 list devour people's contents of those podcasts. Number two, send a personal note to that podcast host, personal video, how you can help them, how you can provide value, maybe a gap you're seeing in their content and how you can help, or maybe even you connect them with somebody else. Be of value for that person, okay? Step number three is you prepare. When you do get on to somebody's podcast, you don't just show up and you're not, you know, a hot mess out there. You show up, you prepare. You have tech savvy. You maybe have invested in some camera, maybe some uh, fundamental, simple tech with a microphone, cameras, things like that. You be professional and then you help spread the word. Okay, gang? 
So I hope this lesson within the lesson, I just wanted to just share a little extra context for everybody here as part of this this episode. So one of the things I try to get across is a lot of the things that I'm attempting to do personally within my business, whether it's the properties that I'm buying, the projects I'm investing in, or even building out my influencer business, building out my media company, building out my YouTube, building out my podcast, I want to share the learning and lessons with you. That's really what I'm trying to get across. I want to share that inspiration, share that encouragement. We're all on their own journey. We're all part of this. And you know what? Something just resonated with me this past weekend when I was listening to it. It was, I think I've used this term before about aggressive patience. And for some of you, you maybe have heard it. But here's what resonated a little deeper with me is be aggressive to the process, but be patient with the result. Let me say that again. Be aggressive with the process, but be patient with the result. So said another way is do the work daily, but be patient if the results are not coming every day, because sometimes you just have to plant some seeds and sometimes it just takes a little extra fertilizer, a little extra water, a little extra nurturing, a little extra training for you to be ready for that opportunity. All right, gang. So I sure hope this post interview part of this podcast resonated with you and you get as much from this section as you did from the entire interview I had with Mr. Dan Rashawn. So Dan, just once again, thank you. And guys, make sure you leave a review, make sure you leave some feedback. And next episode is we're going to dive deeper into this whole realm of attention generating strategies, the clear formula, the ear method, and then also be able to um, talk about the elf strategy as well in there as well. So what I just did is I teased you to come back again for the next episode. Okay, gang, hope you have yourself a wonderful day. And remember, you know how we end these podcasts off? In every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.